We've been talking about play it, making the most of the hand life has dealt you and the process of building your dream because you don't sit around, twiddle your thumbs, and wait for your ship to come in. Never happens that way. Whoever came up with that, that particular little saying ought to have been run out of town the first time the words came out of their mouth. You don't wait for your ship to come in. You do that, and I promise you, your plane's going to land at the airport instead. You're going to be in the wrong place. Life is not set up for you to wait for anything to happen. Carpe diem. You've got to seize the day. You've got to make the most of your opportunities. You sit around and wait for somebody to help you out, you're going to be waiting a long, 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 long time. You have to learn to get out there. And my son-in-law says this. It's a term he and, and his partner Mike White say in their business, they teach their employees, you're going to get it when you go get it. And that's when you get it, when you go get it. It's not coming to you. And I've been trying to help you understand that by going through the process that we must go through to build our dream. And without wanting to be redundant, you have to see it, which is vision. You have to say it, which is you have to speak life over your, yourself and your projects, your family, your dream. You've got to pray it, which is enlist God's help. And you've got to pay it, which is to pay the price to get there. Because the bigger the dream, the higher the cost there is attached to it. Of late, I've been talking about you've got to play it. Which means you've got to play the hand that is dealt to you. If you were to ask me what I think holds most people back. Those series that I've preached this year, see it, say it, pray it, pay it, I've just identified what stops most people from ever achieving what they were destined to achieve. Most people are content to have sight but not vision. Many people allow themselves the luxury of speaking death over their own life or future, their own marriage, their kids. They don't realize they're doing that, but they are. Many people try to pursue their dream without God. They don't pray it. And they don't realize that, as Andrew said one Sunday here, God had a dream and wrapped you around it. That God wants to be involved in your dream. Or as Henry Blackaby said, God doesn't partner with people to do average-sized products. If you can get it done without God, God didn't call you to do it. You just go do it by yourself. Because if God calls you to do something, it's going to take divine intervention to make it happen. You're going to need God's help. That's why he called Abraham when Abraham was married to a woman that was barren. And then Abraham was 90 and finally 100 years old. God always partners with people who in themselves, when he calls them to do a project, do not have the resources and never will have to get it done alone. They have to have God's help. And then others simply are not willing to pay the price. They want it, but they won't pay the price to get there. They won't exercise the self-discipline necessary to make it happen. And then this next series that I have been in, the one more recent, is play it, playing the hand that life has dealt you. I see so many people looking over the table and seeing somebody else's hand and getting either sad, experiencing pity, 
or depression or even anger and hostility and saying, I want that hand and not the one I've got. And until you learn to play the hand you've got, you're never going to be able to build your dream. And so I'm going to ask somebody to help me preach this morning that is qualified in a way that I hope I am never qualified in to speak on this subject. I'm, I've asked Brother Patrick Guide. We've been working on this message how long, Irvin, since first of the year. I had you first speak with him. We've been to the hospital and filmed clips. And Brother Patrick Guide is in a hospital right now, cannot speak, cannot move his muscles, cannot walk, cannot talk. And he's going to come in and visit with us this morning by means of the interview that we did at the hospital with him. We brought a team to go and meet with him, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what it's like to be facing a terminal illness, already having lived beyond the life expectancy of those with this particular disease. I asked him to help me preach, and the reason I did was because at the first of the year, he sent me an email, and I want to read it to you, from his bed of affliction in the Veterans Hospital where he has been for, what, the last three or four years now. He writes, I also declare that even in my incapacitated condition, I am an asset and not a liability. For I refuse to allow this temporary bed of affliction to become an incubator to misery. Rather, it is a platform for ministry and a divine setup for a miracle. As inspiring as that statement is, you can't possibly realize the full importance of such a wonderful declaration until you know more about the person who wrote it and the circumstances under which it was written. So I want us to pray today, and I want you to to bear with me. If it doesn't work out as well, just say, okay, next Sunday, Pastor, be preaching, and I will. But today, I'm going to team preach with somebody that's going to have to do it from a hospital bed in Veterans Hospital. And the reason that I'm doing this is I want you to know that there's probably not a one of us in this building that are anywhere near as dire and desperate a circumstance as Patrick Guide is right now. And yet, you can't make him say a negative word. You can't get him to get mad at God or feel sorry for himself. When you talk to him, you go to minister to him, you know what happens? You end up leaving feeling blessed. I'm serious. He writes emails to me that, that I mean when I get through reading them, I, I just say, whatever problems I've got, God forgive me for even thinking they were a problem. Amen. I want you to pray with me. Father, I thank you today because of your amazing grace, the grace we sang about a while ago. And I'm asking you to speak to us in this service today. Because there are people that are facing challenges, and no doubt, as I've been teaching in this series, have been dealt a hand in life that is unfair, it is complicated, it is painful, it is sad, it is hurtful. The real issue is not what we've been dealt, but how can we manage that to turn it into something good? I'm asking you to help us to watch and learn from the example of one of your children today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Our text once more for what is your life?
When I get through today, I want you to ask yourself that question as you leave, but compare it to the man you're about to see. I don't care if you've lost your job, and I, I do care, but I mean compared to what he's going through, I'm going to tell you that losing a job is nowhere near as catastrophic as what he is facing is. Philippians, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Upward call. That applies to the man you're about to see. So first of all, let me introduce you to Brother Patrick Guide. I've known Brother Patrick Guide and his wife Connie and their two children for well over 20 years. And if memory serves me correctly, it's actually been closer to 25 years since I first met them. You won't be able to tell by what you're going to see on the screen, but Patrick is tall. He's handsome with his muscles unable to move now. He has no control over his facial expression and so forth. Patrick has always been a man's man. He's been a a priest to his family ever since I've known him. He and Connie have both been active in ministry for many years. But I want you to hear him tell his story. The only thing that I'm going to say is from time to time I'll step in and I'll tell you the questions I ask him. But before I begin, I want to point out that Patrick, as I said a moment ago, cannot speak. He'll tell you what he actually has is Lou Gehrig's disease and he has absolutely no control over any muscles in his body, whatever. None. Can't even breathe on his own. There is a computer screen that is fixed, that is set over his bed on an arm, an extension. And Patrick focuses his, eye, his eyes on the letters of the alphabet that are displayed on that screen and is able to, by looking at those letters, communicate to that computer that it needs to type those words and he has to put in all of his punctuation his periods his exclamation marks his commas his capital letters and he sits there and writes everything he's going to say needless to say it takes a long time and then he switches his eyes to another part of that screen and directs the computer to speak what he has written and through a computerized voice, it communicates his thoughts. That's the only way he can speak. He can't make any sounds. Completely paralyzed. You will see how intelligent that man is as you listen to some of the things he has to say. And I want to ask you, as you watch that, is there a one of us that have been dealt a hand that bad and that challenging? But before... We get into it. Just raise your hand and say, Father, touch Brother Patrick, God, and his family. Heal him and raise him up in Jesus' name. Brother Patrick, let him introduce himself. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, our rock, our strength, and our joy, and from our Heavenly Father. First, let me give honor to the apostle of this house and my pastor, Pastor Richard Hurd and to the First Lady, Mrs. Jerry Hurd. Pastor, thank you so much for taking the time from your sacrificial and productively powerful busy schedule to pour into a lone member in the Veterans Hospital. Your words of encouragement are invaluable and very much appreciated. 
Our story is a living picture of faith, hope and trust in Jesus Christ, without whom the journey would have already been aborted. Our journey begun several months before August of 2007. However, it was the month of my life-changing diagnosis with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, also commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, named after the famous baseball player. The motor neurons control the functions of the muscles throughout the body. Still a medical mystery, the motor neurons of the brain and spinal cord shut down, gradually weakening the muscles. Respiratory failure normally ends in death. Food for thought, be thankful for every breath that you take. The life expectancy for an ALS patient is normally five years. However, some patients live well beyond that, while others expire sooner. I remember going to a class for new supervisors. Everyone was asked to stand up and introduce ourselves. My speech now noticeably slurred. I deliberately stood up slowly and said, My name is Patrick Guide, and I have a severe hangover from drinking extremely too much last night. Suddenly all eyes were upon me, not seeing the humor in my statement, but that no he did not look. You stupid moron. I quickly diffused the situation with an outburst of heartfelt laughter, informing the class of my recent diagnosis with ALS. In that moment, I made light of a situation, totally oblivious to the challenges and struggles to come, that would test my inner resolve, and my faith and trust in the Almighty God, and my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My muscle degradation was fast and furious, taking away my independence, and rapidly reducing any residue of self-reliance and self-pride. The spirit of fear tried to destroy any sense of resilience and hope, as I helplessly saw my physical strength slip away. This is where I could have thrown in the towel of defeat, giving up spiritually, emotionally and mentally, had it not been for the love, compassion and grace of God, personified by the awesome fight team and my coroner, my wife and two teenage children. They were the 24-7 team committed to my care from the early stages, living a sacrificial life for six years. As noted earlier, presently, I am at Veterans Hospital, under the watchful care of a dedicated group of various professionals. I knew that the day would finally come when my little eaglets would leave the nest, taking flight up to college, in pursuit of higher education and academic excellence, that would pave the path to respective successful careers. Eventually, with limited help, the daily lifting, pulling and turning my 230-pound body took its toll, resulting in severe back pain for my wife. Additionally, my untimely needs oftentimes dictated how much sleep, or lack thereof, she had at night. Something needed to change, hence the reason for my being at the Veterans Hospital. Can you understand that okay? Okay, good, because it's a little roar up here. I want to make sure so I don't lose you. So he's told us a little bit about his story. The one thing that you find out when you meet Patrick Guide, he's been a member here for many, many years, he and Connie. You'll see her in the services, not this service. She comes to a later service. But the one thing you'll find out is not once do you ever hear him say a complaining word. Not once have I ever heard him complain. And I told him, frankly, I said, Patrick, you know, people make heroes out of men and women who have successfully achieved great things. I've seen Mount Everest, and, and everybody acknowledges the greatness of Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first person to climb Mount Everest, or 
we all remember Neil Armstrong, first person to walk on the moon. And I agree that they deserve recognition for their accomplishments. However, there is no doubt in my mind that the real heroes are people like this who face insurmountable difficulties and still remain loving and kind and full of faith and refuse to be bitter and don't become sad and morose and don't feel their time blaming God. And I asked Patrick, how is it, Patrick, that you have managed to be so strong and unshakable in your faith? And I want him to tell you. You see, this is the thing about it. I've said it often that somebody facing cancer, I mean, I can say an encouraging word to them, but a person that has had cancer can say a word to them that touches them where they are. I can't do that unless I have walked through that same thing. And some people might be walking through some challenges in their life. And you look at me and say, oh, you're the pastor and, you know, so forth. And, and you don't have the challenges I face. Well, I, I'll just be honest. I've had my fair share. But I've learned not to complain. And one reason I've learned not to complain is that as a pastor, I have watched people like this that serve God so faithfully and serve God so diligently in the middle of the worst circumstance possible that I'm embarrassed to complain. And I asked Patrick, how is it that you have managed to keep such faith? Listen to what he had to say. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing in life happens to us that's not first filtered through the love of God. The Lord didn't cause ALS to attack my physical body, nor did this temporary but devastating disease take him by surprise. According to a W. Tozer, the omniscience of God means that in one effortless moment he knows absolutely everything. ALS isn't punishment for past transgressions and iniquities. For before the physical manifestation of the cross in Calvary, Jesus looked down through time from eternity and took on himself the penalty pain and affliction of ALS, and all diseases. Further, the scriptures declare that Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the Father in his infinite wisdom is methodically turning around this attack by Satan for my ultimate good. Consequently, the resulting circumstances and challenges are all figured into the complex equation and purpose of my life. Please allow me to use my imagination to humor myself, not intended to ignite a theological debate. God says, have you considered my son Patrick? Satan replies, you know that you have a protective hedge around him. You are his provider. He eats like a horse. You blessed him with an amazing appetite and a fast metabolism. And it seems like he has a wide bottomless pit for his stomach. It really appears as though food and stomach were on his mind when he prayed for you to enlarge his territory. Also, his joyful disposition, his positive attitude and his vociferous laughter sicken me and just make me mad. <laughs> Tell you what God, remove the hedge and take everything away, including his ability to eat and watch how quickly your son Patrick slips back into my darkness. And God declares, permission granted Satan. Of course this is all speculation on my part and not any attempt to display my significance. Inevitably, the faith fueled sweet-smelling, spiritual fragrance of passion and purpose would eventually rise up from the ashes of adversity, 
as a proclamation of ultimate victory. In Luke 22, the Lord said, Behold Simon, Simon, Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. And we know that all things work together for our good to those who love God, and are the called according to his purpose. The scriptures give further validation, as recorded by the psalmist who said, It's good for me that I have been afflicted, because through my affliction I am learning your statutes. It's my belief that the primary purpose of affliction is to crucify the flesh and to perpetuate spiritual growth, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ Jesus. For a long time I once questioned if I heard from God. Now I know that the Holy Spirit is continuously speaking. However, it's up to me to be tuned into the right frequency, enabling me to hear His voice succinctly and with clarity. It's a true walk of faith, so the Father alone gets all the glory. Get the idea the man's articulate and intelligent? And he's telling us right now that he has been placed in a circumstance and what keeps him from falling over the wrong way into a fit of depression as he recognizes that there is an enemy but that enemy is not God. And so many of us blame God when we're in the middle of adverse circumstances and challenges. And it's not God at all. It's the enemy that is agitated and seeking to separate us, sift us, separate us from our faith. But he keeps his eyes focused on God. And I asked Patrick a very sincere question. Many people go through life saying that life has been unfair to them. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've heard people make that statement. God is not fair. Life is not fair. And you know what? I disagree with the first statement that God's not fair, but I do agree with the second one that life itself is unfair. I've been teaching you that this is a broken world we live in. And when sin came into the world, the perfect harmony that God had created was suddenly completely shattered. And the happiness and joy and fulfillment that God wanted all of us to experience was taken away from us. Amen. But as a result of this world being broken, many of us in walking through challenges, and I mean, I, I hesitate to even mention some of the things I've faced, 24 surgeries, rear-ended, so much metal in my body from back fusions and neck fusions and and all that kind of stuff that when I walk through uh, a detector at the airport, I tell them what I'm going through, I'm going to set the alarm on. And, I mean, there's not a day that I personally live without pain, not a moment that I live without pain. And I'm making a confession to you that I don't even talk to my own family about. I live with pain every moment of my life. But I refuse to blame him for what the enemy has tried to do to me. I'm a threat to the kingdom of darkness, and so are you. I have a destiny, and so do you. And whenever life deals you a hand that is unfair, how do we manage the attitude that Patrick is demonstrating and keep from saying like others, oh, if only I had somebody else's opportunity, if I had their job, I had their marriage, I lived in their house, I had their money, I had their education, I had their position, and we complain and want to be dealt 
the hand that someone else has been given. How do we keep from feeling this way and keep such a cheerful attitude? Listen to what he said. I've had my fair share of absolute frustrating and discouraging moments along this temporary but daunting journey. Just for one brief moment, picture yourself, strong and healthy, instantly struck with a medically terminal illness that left you totally incapacitated with a gastrointestinal feeding tube, totally dependent on a ventilator to breathe and indefinitely confined to a hospital bed, unable to eat your favorite foods, and just drink an ice-cold glass of Ozarka water. It's quite unlikely that anyone would willingly embrace such an outcome. Fortunately, however, following the initial stage of my battle with ALS, the process was gradual, enabling me to mentally adjust to the regressive stages along the way. So at this present stage of my trial, the spiritual fruits of peace and joy regulate my mind and flood my heart. Conversely, it's my desire for the goodness of God to be a perpetual proclamation and promise of peace in the midst of the storms of life and hope in times of uncertainties and challenging conditions. For the Holy Bible declares that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. You might be asking, how is it possible to see the goodness of God during times of trials, storms and afflictions? Well, it's complicated. Ha 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 ha. Just kidding. It's simply the benefit of having a personal relationship and intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. At this season in my life, I view humanity in two categories, those bound for heaven, and those bound for hell. Contrary to what many believe, death is not the cessation of life. Instead, death is a prelude into another life. Every one of us is going to spend eternity somewhere after we die. That decision is solely up to us, one that must be made while we are still in the land of the living. Once we take our final breath, then it's too late to decide. Let me be perfectly clear, I believe in the validity, the integrity and the authenticity of the Holy Bible. Therefore it is upon this foundation that I share my belief. The Bible declares that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The scripture is clear. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after death comes judgment. My desire for souls fuels my passion immensely, when I think about the times I could have died without Christ in my heart. The thought of eternal damnation and separation from Jesus Christ, ignites my compassion for the lost. I cannot even imagine what it would be like, facing a medically terminal illness, without being anchored in the Lord, and perpetually empowered by His Word. While some in my condition are without hope, overwhelmed by depression and despair, I am experiencing peace in the midst of the storm. It's a fact that I have Lou Gehrig's disease. However, the truth is Lou Gehrig's disease certainly doesn't have me. In other words, I refuse to allow the abnormalities of the disease to dictate my daily disposition, or determine my attitude. For instance, the depletion of my facial muscles cannot curtail my smile, or revoke my visible expression of laughter. ALS attacked my body, but couldn't touch my spirit, or infiltrate my heart. It did try to invade my mind, but lost the fight against the formidable and infinite power of the living word, permanently protecting the battlefield of my mind. In my temporary trial, 
I cannot lose sight of the fact that part of my ministry and my calling is to build up and encourage others, in part, by allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to manifest through my spiritual and emotional disposition and through my testimony in the midst of my temporary trial. Therefore I must continue to sow seeds of encouragement into the minds of others, regardless of my own personal challenges. Also, I regularly engage my vivid and Christ-centered imagination to see things that are not yet as though they already are. I cannot take any credit for this positive mindset, for it is the direct result of my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. I hope you caught that because it impacted me. He said that at this stage or point in his life, there are two kinds of people, either saved or unsaved. What he's really saying, that's not condemning people. You understand that. What he's saying is, is when everything else is stripped away from you, you're left with only one thing, and that is, are you ready to meet God? When you can't talk, you can't eat, you can't, you can't move, you can't breathe without a ventilator, you can't take care of yourself, give yourself a bath, handle any of your bodily functions, and you have already exceeded the life expectancy for this disease by now four years. In fact, the week we were to go and film, we had to cancel because he had pneumonia. And when you are facing the reality that death could come at any moment, all of a sudden Jesus Christ is not the fifth wheel anymore. In Patrick's case, he never was. Patrick already loved God and was committed to ministry. And this again proves that yes, in a broken world, Bad things even happen to good people. They do. But you can't blame God for that. It's this broken world that we live in, as I have pointed out, and the enemy that broke it that makes that the case. But if we are faithful to God and we have relationship with God, you know what happens if you lose a job or lose a car or lose your health or lose a family member or, God forbid, a marriage goes the wrong direction. I mean, all of these things happen in the course of life, and there are people here in this room that have experienced that, and my heart goes out to people that have faced all of these things, and none of us want that to happen to people we love and care for, but we know that these things happen. But you know the response that occurs when a person is focused and centered on Jesus Christ? You strip all of that other stuff away and it only leaves Christ alone standing there beside you. And you realize how much of a friend Jesus really is. It's like some of our fair weather friends. Y'all have never had any like that, have you? Sunshine giants, right? As long as everything's going well, they're right there by you. I'll help you out. First sign of a problem, they're, they're gone. I remember hearing Pastor John Hagee preach one time about a big guy that was a bodybuilder in his church. And that guy was saying, I'm going to watch out for you, Pastor Hagee. I'm, I've got my, I'm, I'm, I'm helping you here, man. Nobody's going to lay a finger on you. I've got your back. And 
One day a guy actually came in with a pistol and fired the pistol in church. Pastor Hagee said he looked. He said that big guy that was a bodybuilder disappeared and he has yet to see him again to this very day. We've all got friends like that, but I want to tell you one that doesn't leave you, and his name is Jesus. Amen. One that will never, never forsake you. And in the middle of your darkest hour, what happens is all of the superfluous stuff that doesn't really mean a lot anyway flakes off to the side and leaves the realities of what life is truly all about, and that's what remains. That's where Patrick Guide is right now, and that's the condition that he is in. And under those circumstances, oh, man, do you ever appreciate God? You better know you do because you can't appreciate God until you've been through some things, and he's seen you through some things that nobody else could walk with you through. And I want to tell you that if we would learn to face the setbacks the enemy sends our way, as we're describing Patrick having faced these setbacks, the enemy, after a while, would be afraid to throw another pitch our direction. Because it's kind of like somebody that's not a very good pitcher, and he's got one good hitter after another lined up at home plate, and they keep, you know, returning that ball down his throat, you know. If we would learn to do that, and play the hand that we have been dealt. That's powerful. Patrick, from his hospital bed, has made quite an impact. He's writing. He sends emails out. They call him Pastor Patrick. The people in the veterans' hospital look up to this man like you can't believe. Because they know the, the challenges. When I went there the other day, there were, I didn't even realize that we had members of the church working on the same floors that Patrick is on. People were calling, hey, Pastor Hurd, how are you? I said, I'm good. I'm here to see Brother Patrick. Oh, you know Brother Patrick? I said, yeah, he's a member of the church. They haven't seen him here because he can't come. And you know what I thought as I was walking down the hall? What about all of those of us? I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip, but we have the opportunity to be here, and sometimes we're not because we... All of that superfluous stuff I was talking about gets in our way. And I asked Patrick this question. I said, how is it that from this hospital bed you have been so impacting with your life? Listen to his brief answer. Pastor, you are absolutely right on target when you said that part of being successful is playing the hand you have been dealt in life. For even in my present condition, it's totally up to me to either fold my hand or keep on playing, going all in, regardless of the odds. I attribute this attitude and positive mindset solely to those who have taken permanent residence within me. For presently living in me are the unmatched, eternal presence of royalty, greatness, power, glory, victory, and majesty in the person of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's how you do it. You play the hand that is dealt you. Now, I would suggest that if any of us have a hand that we don't like, but it falls short of the one that Patrick has been dealt, that we probably would do really well not to complain about it. Because all we have to do is look at ours and look at his and say, hey, mine's not as bad as I thought it was. 
And I'm reminded of the old story about the guy that complained all the time, Lord, my cross is so heavy. It's heavier than I can bear. It's not fair, God. Why? Why? Why me, God? Why? Why me? My cross is too heavy, God. You've got to hear what I'm saying. Remove this from me. And one night he had a dream. And in the dream he had a vision. And the Lord came to him and said, I've heard your cry, my son. And I am going to allow you to get rid of this cross that you carry that is so heavy and choose another one to your liking. And the Lord brought him into a warehouse and there was a huge warehouse that stretched endlessly toward the distant horizon. And there were, it was filled with nothing but crosses, large crosses, small crosses, heavy crosses, concrete crosses, heavy wooden crosses, metal crosses, crosses of all types and descriptions. And the man walked through and found one little bitty cross about this big in the corner. And he said, Lord, since I have carried such a heavy cross all of these years, I choose this one. It's only fair that you let me take this one after the heavy cross I've carried. And the Lord said, son, that's the one you just laid down. We can make our own cross seem to be so heavy by not focusing on the grace of God. Patrick went on to talk about the value of family. I'm going to skip over that one because we're running out of time here. But his family's been incredible to stand by him. Connie is just, she's everything that a wife is supposed to be. Her husband is unable to work. and As you see, needs constant attention and care. And she stood there faithfully beside him. That is what love is about. And it's in a relationship like that and that we understand how much God loves us. And that's why God called us into a marriage covenant and describes his relationship with us as being a marriage because he wants us to know that just like Connie is right there for Patrick, God's always right there for us. I really take my hat off to her. And then I let his wife Connie speak for a moment. And I want you to hear what she had to say because she's walking through this with him. Okay, Sister Connie, I wanted to ask you, um, this hasn't been easy for you as well and in your children. Not at all. You didn't vote for this either. Nope, did not. You have been, <laughs> you have been a tremendous woman of God and a, the, in my estimation, a Proverbs 31 wife. Thank you, Jesus. Which is as high a compliment as I can give a wife. Tell me what has sustained you in the middle of that. First of all, the grace of God. I believe that as we walk through our trials in life, there's a grace beyond measure. There's a grace for every level. There's a grace for every trial. And I think as long as we surrender to God, and I know one each day I pray the prayer, Lord, give me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to do the difference. There's one little plaque that I read every day, happy is the man that learns to accept what he cannot change. And then there's another one that says, life is not about waiting for the storm to pass, it's about learning to dance in the rain. And that has blessed me so much. Isn't that tremendous? I want to close now, but I asked them the final question. What has God meant to them in the challenge, this challenge they face?
and uh, they're both going to respond to that. Is this helping anybody? Amen. It's a different kind of message, as I said. I hope and I pray that you never go through anything like this, but I also hope and pray that after getting a glimpse into someone else's hardship and ordeal, that it will make you better appreciate your own life and be grateful for the good things that God has done. What has God meant to them? Let's hear what they have to say as we, we wrap this up. There are so many things that can be said about the God we serve, some of which I have already alluded to. The Lord wants us to be reminded that He is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Unlike the gods of other religions, our God is the only self-existent God. He transcends time and space, yet, He is always near, just a silent prayer or cry away. In the midst of my affliction, I have experienced a level of intimacy with the Father, and a higher dimension of His love, like never before. Truthfully, I was too busy working outside the gate, allowing designed distractions to redirect my focus, passion and priorities. It's been said that oftentimes busy means being under Satan's yoke. The Lord said, however, come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, that you may find rest for your souls. Our God came out of eternity, legally stepping into time, to die for us, knowing that finite man could absolutely never reconcile with the infinite God on his own merit. So perfection sacrificially and willingly took on imperfection, died and went down to the lowest depth of hell. Three days later, perfection was resurrected, paving the only path to reconciliation with the Father, and the only way to eternal life. The scriptures state, seeing then that we have a great high priest who is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy, and find grace for help in our time of need. Hallelujah. 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 We cannot thank God enough for the gospel of grace. To those who haven't experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, I admonish you to take this opportunity today. Those of you who I don't get to meet in this life, see you all at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I will be sitting next to Jesus with Apostle Herod. Ha 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 ha. Just kidding. Seriously speaking, this is one once in a lifetime event that you don't want to miss. Everything is free, but pre-registration is absolutely mandatory. There's also a strict dress code. All must be adorned in white robes of righteousness, sewn with a priceless fabric of grace. I cannot wait to see my Lord, that human language and man's imagination can never adequately describe or reveal. To me, this has been a journey. And sometimes God will prepare us for our journey. And I tell Patrick all the time, I said, you know, I'm so grateful that you listened to God. Because when we met, I may not have been his choice, you know, but he knew he was God. And I tell him all the time, I thank God, and you heard God, because he knew what you were going to face down the road. And he chose a person that would walk by your side and be faithful. And I know that even in the midst of this, sometimes we may not think that God calls you to a trial, but he does. And I know this is my assignment in this season. 
and I've learned to embrace it. You know, I know we walk by faith, but there is some things, it is what it is. And being able to accept it, embrace it, and then you say, God, what is my part? What is my assignment to do in the midst of it? Bucking and crying and hollering, depression, mad, anger, bitterness does not change a thing. But see the power of God. Patrick's gift in the midst of it is still flowing. Ministry for myself, we're still going forward. So God is just awesome to see how he can work in the midst of it. Your ministry is not over because you go through a test of your trial. It may shift a little bit, but let me tell you, if Patrick had not been in the position where he is now, not that we're glorying in it because this has not been an easy thing for us, but in the midst of it, he's used it. He never would have written this much. He would have been working, they work, 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 yeah. work, work. And I used to say to him all the time, you need to stop working so much and write because I could see the gift in him. And he just kept working, kept working. So in the midst of this, he's still being used of God, still ministering, minister to these people, worship, writing, and he's still going forth. So we didn't stop because of the trial. We were both preaching, going out, and it's still happening right now. So we see the love of God. I told somebody one day, I see the love of God, and they say, in the midst of that, I say, God hasn't stopped loving me because I'm going through a trial, and we haven't stopped loving Him because we see what He's doing in us, through us, and for us.